This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 238 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Joining us this week is Herbert Lin, Senior Research Scholar at the Center for International Security and Cooperation and Hank J. Holland Fellow at Stanford University. He's author of the book Cyber Threats and Nuclear Weapons, in which he outlines the challenges the U.S. faces in modernizing the control systems for our nuclear weapons arsenal, the dangers of connecting these systems to the Internet, and the peril of feature creep and increased complexity in the nuclear age. Stay with us. The United States is uh, embarking on a fairly ambitious nuclear modernization program where all elements of the uh, nuclear enterprise are being modernized, including the command and control systems and the weapons platforms, the missiles, the bombers, and so on. Um, and, uh, so that's, you know, fact number one, and it's a big deal. Uh, fact number two is that information technology is, uh, uh, integral to all of it, uh, to every aspect of that nuclear modernization. Um, technology doesn't always work seamlessly. And if there's a certain place that you want, uh, technology to information technology to work seamlessly, it better be the nuclear command and control stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and so where did things stand before this effort at modernization? I mean, I think we've all seen the, you know, the scenes in the movies where you have two people with keys and they have to turn them at the same time and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, how accurate is that and, and what needed to take place to bring things up to a modern level? Well, uh, a large part of it is accurate. Of course, some parts are, are, are not for dramatic uh, purposes. Um, the technology that controls our nuclear uh, weapon systems uh, is um, is pretty old. In fact, I mean, we've had nuclear command and control systems around for you know since, since the dawn of the nuclear age. Um, you know, back in back in 1945, it was you know typewriters and and, and essentially faxes um, or uh, you know telexes or something like that that the uh, that the military used. Um, we have had a, uh, a nuclear command and control system that we have now today uh, has been around more or less in its current form, and I'll say what that means in a minute, um, since about 1985 or so. Hmm. Uh, in 1985 was the, 1985 sort of, uh, or thereabouts was the, the, the last point at which the uh, system architecture uh, was, and layout uh, was uh, designed and implemented. Um, that's what I mean when it says it, it hasn't really changed as that. Of, of course, many components within it uh, have been upgraded and, and so on. Others have not. So what does the control systems for our nuclear weapons look like? First, I have to, let me tell you what it does. Okay, mm. the, 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 uh, the nuclear command and control system has a uh, responsibilities that it needs to carry out, the, the thing, uh, things it needs to do sort of every day, uh, and there are things that it needs to do in case a crisis breaks out. So some of the things that it needs to do every day, for example, just as an example, uh, know the status of all of our nuclear forces at any given moment. So if you call up the head of, use a strategic command uh, right now, uh, that person should know how many missiles, uh, land-based missiles are operational 
and he should know exactly which ones are down for maintenance and so on. Um, they should know where all the nuclear weapons are uh, in the U.S. arsenal that uh, the that the that strategic command might need to to, to use. Um, so monitoring uh, the status of our forces is is one element of it. Uh, a second element of it is to to watch. Uh, it's always uh, it's always on the watch for uh, for attack. Some some other nation, Russia or China or somebody else, uh, might try to launch a missile in our direction um, or a bunch of missiles, and we ought to know about that when they uh, if and when they uh, when they do that. So we're trying to also keep tabs on uh, on adversaries uh, and adver- especially adversaries with nuclear weapons, trying to to wonder about what they're figure out what they're doing. So those those are some of the uh, the everyday uh, functions. Now when in the event of a crisis, the president uh, and the military uh, have to be able to communicate with the nuclear forces. So, for example, they have to say, let's bring all the bombers up to alert. Uh, we have bombers in, at bomber bases in, in the United States. Uh, let's uh, make sure that they're ready to go. Um, that's, that doesn't mean any commitment to actually using them. It just means just in case something happens, uh, let, let's, get, uh, let's get them ready. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, you also have to be able to uh, figure out um, what you want them to do if you do need to use them. Uh, so what targets are they going to, to hit? Where, where are you going to aim your nuclear weapons? Uh, those are issues that, I mean, they have to decide on that sort of uh, thing. Now, they, typically they select from a bunch of pre-planned options uh, these are options that are that that have been planned during you know during peacetime, uh, but of course the military is always planning, and they say you know we want to execute option number five or something like that, and then everybody gets, says aha they want to execute option number five, um, uh, and this is what I have to do for option number five, hmm. okay, and then it's a different thing for option number six and and and, and so on. Um, the selection of that uh, is uh, is is. In most cases, well, in cases where they involve actual nuclear use, the actual dropping of nuclear weapons on on somebody, um, that has to be authorized by the president. Uh, The president says, I want to do option five uh, or I want to do option six. And and then then the the command and control system is designed to transmit the orders to the nuclear forces – in a way that's unambiguously clear, that it's absolutely sure that that's the president who did it and not some random and some other imposter. Uh, so that's another function of the, uh, what we call an episodic function of the uh, uh, command and control system. You know, the, the last thing is, is that after you've launched a nuclear uh, strike, then you have to know how successful it was. Where did, they, where did the weapons go off? Because something, you know, um, what, some weapon might not have arrived on its target. Um, it may be maybe a bomber was shot down. Maybe a weapon, you know, a missile exploded in flight. Maybe the uh, the weapon was a dud, uh, and and so on. So you have to be able to know the effects of your weapons. The, they they may not all have worked as planned, and you have to that information has to get back to the commander, so they have to figure out what to do next. So what are the specific cyber related threats to our nuclear capabilities? Uh, if you've read the book, it starts out with a very interesting um, uh, story. Uh, there is a, a story uh, according to which uh, when John F. Kennedy first, I mean, John F. Kennedy 
uh, you know, became president in 1961, right? And, and, and um, after a few months, he said, you know, I wonder where the phone is that is supposed to let me know that the Russians are attacking or the Soviet Union is attacking in case they attack. And his science advisor said, well, under Eisenhower, it, it, was, in, it was in your desk. And so the president and the science advisor pulled out all of the drawers of the desk and couldn't find it. Hmm. It turned out that, uh, the, you know, so this, this, you could, this was the cyber attack uh, of the 1960s, right? Only it wasn't a cyber attack. It, 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 I'll tell you the story. Um, what happened was that um, there was indeed a phone in Eisenhower's desk, but Jackie Kennedy had taken responsibility for uh, redecorating the Oval Office. And she said, oh, I don't like that desk. I'm going to bring in a new desk. And she brought in a new desk. And in the process of removing the old desk, the telephone was removed. <laughs> and nobody thought to reconnect it. So JFK got a new desk, but the phone was gone. Now, this was the cyber technology of, 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 uh, you know, of, of 1960, right? No, no computers involved at all. Right. Um, but the, you know, the fact that for a little while... The president of the United States didn't have a, a direct phone line that he should have had to U.S. commanders to let him know that an attack was underway, if in, fact, if in fact an attack was underway. And so this was a situation in which, you know, you could argue that this was a significant failure of command and control, mm. okay, of the command and control system. The president was unable to be informed that there was a, a, a nuclear attack uh, on, on the way. And so you say, you know, why the question that you asked was, what are the cyber aspects of all of this? Well, the point is that technology is involved in all aspects uh, of the weapon systems. The weapon systems are now controlled by computer and the and the new nuclear command and control system is going to be much more heavily dependent on information technology than the old one was. And so anything digital like that can be hacked and having those systems hacked is uh, not a good thing for U.S. security. So that's that's one as one major that's one major aspect uh, of cybersecurity and the nuclear weapon systems uh, and the nuclear command and control system that people have to worry about. And there's another aspect too, which I can talk about later. But the, the, that's that's the one that most people worry about. Yeah, you know, I, I think we hear a lot about, um, you know, with industrial control systems and, mm -hmm. and particularly uh, things like the power grid, you know, mm -hmm. and that that going down. It seems to me that, um, you know, nuclear weapons and, and nuclear power uh, doesn't receive the same amount of attention. Could that be in part that I, I'm thinking of, you know, we had certainly the, uh, the incident with Chernobyl, but I'm, I'm trying to think of accidents we've had or mishaps with actual nuclear weapons? Well, we have, there have been many mishaps due to uh, nuclear weapons, uh, sort of failures in, you know, failures in the system. Hmm. None of them has resulted in an explosion, uh, but we've had certainly had failures. A, 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 a most significant failure, uh, to my mind, was uh, the events, I, I think it was I can't remember the date, but it was in the 2000s sometime uh, when the, the U.S. Uh, flew six nuclear-armed cruise missiles from a base in the upper northwest to down to a base in uh, Louisiana. And it didn't know 
it thought it was carrying dummy warheads, that is, inert cruise missiles. And in fact, they were armed. They, were, hmm. they had nuclear warheads on them. For, and this, this was for, for about 36 hours or so. The U.S. did not know. Uh, this did, did not have correct uh, information about the status of those nuclear weapons. Uh, thought they thought they were in a bunker somewhere, but they were on the wing of a B, you know they were on the wing of a B fifty two, and that was a big failure of the uh, of, of the nuclear command and control system. The investigation uh, did not indicate that it was a cyber failure per se, but it was a failure of the overall system, hmm. uh, of which of course technology is a uh, is, is is a part. Um, that's the most recent uh, failure that that uh, that that I know of. Uh, and of course, there have been a whole bunch of, of false warnings and 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 mistaken warnings about uh, Russian attack and and uh, Soviet attack and so on over the years. All of which have been corrected, but uh, at the time, they you know people took them very very seriously, mm-hmm. and uh, they developed procedures to uh, to fix them. Uh, and and so you could say, on one hand, the system worked, um, and that's a good thing. On the other hand, we came awfully close. And, and, and so you'd like to avoid those kinds of close calls. You know, in the the work and the research that you did putting together the book, is is your sense that there is recognition amongst the the powers that be that this is that this is indeed an area of concern and that you know requires the the type of attention that you outline in the book? Well, the top brass know it. They they are. If you ask them about cyber, if you ask them, is cybersecurity important to you? They'll say yes, right? Mm. Um, and, and, and they'll say, and yes, we have to put resources into it, and, and, and we want to put uh, money into it, and we want to put effort into it, and so on. So the, they, say all the, they say all of those things. Now, the real question that you have to ask is, what are they willing to give up to get better security? And if the answer is nothing, then that tells you something. And if the answer is something, yeah, I would be willing to give up something. Then the you know that that then uh, that tells you a different thing. Mm. Um, I hope that it's the second rather than the first, uh, but I haven't heard any indication that it's the second. Yeah, I mean that's a really interesting point, in that I, I suppose part of the tension that you have when you're talking about things like nuclear weapons is that. Um, you can't put too much friction in the way of, of their use, and yet their potential use is so catastrophic that you want to have a, a certain amount of friction as well. And so how do you strike that balance at, at the speed of cyber? That's, you, you've, asked exactly the, you've asked exactly that question, um, and I have never seen uh, testimony or a paper or anything that written by a senior leader that acknowledges that tension. Hmm. You you lay out several scenarios in the book. I, I'm curious, you know, is is there one in particular that uh, that puts you on edge? Is there is there one that you know that you think is is uh, particularly troublesome? Yes, uh, let me give you the, the example that I'm I, I'm thinking of uh, is a the, the scenario. I think it's the first scenario in the, in, in the book that uh, I'm worried about. Uh, and I'm worried about it for a reason that, which will lead into the second class of cyber risks that I'm worried about. Okay, I only talked about one, which mm. is the deliberate use of cyber as a as a weapon to, against us to to compromise our nuclear weapons. Um, so here's the scenario: 
First, you have to understand that a fundamental reality about cyber intrusions, and I use the word there, intrusions, advisedly. If somebody penetrates into your system, into your home computer, and you detect that, that somebody else is there, a bad guy is there, somebody who shouldn't be there, there is no way of knowing what his or her intent is in being there. And in particular, you don't know whether the person is there to steal data or to trash your data. Stealing data and trashing data are very different things. If I steal it, you still have your data. And let's say that let's say the thing that's on your computer is a is your doctoral thesis, okay? And you you haven't turned it in, and you you've forgotten to make a backup or something like that. Hmm. That's the only copy there. If they steal it, well, okay, fine. You still have your thesis. Now you have to worry. This is not good. You have to worry about uh, whether they're going to publish it in advance, and you know, uh, you know, ahead of you, and all this other stuff. But you still have your work. You haven't lost five years of work. Hmm. However, if they go into the if they go into your 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 computer and trash the uh, and, and destroy that your thesis. Now you've lost five years of work. That's a very different proposition, right? The problem is you don't know. You've seen this guy in your system. You know he's doing something, but you don't know what it is, and can't figure out what it is until he actually does it. That's fundamentally the problem. And now pretend it's not your personal computer, but this is your nuclear command and control system. Dave Bittner's personal nuclear command and control, or that of the U.S., mm. right? If the U.S. sees a bad guy, well, sees somebody, presumably a bad guy, in our nuclear command and control system, why is he there? Is he there to steal information? We call that espionage. Or is he there to trash the system in preparation, for example, for an, of an attack? We don't know the answer to that. And under peacetime circumstances, we sort of generally assume that if he's there to steal it, to steal information, because under peacetime circumstances, there's no reason to, you know, to, to, to get ready for war. Ah, but now what if you're in a crisis and tensions are escalating, for example, over Ukraine or mm. something like that? I mean, I'm just making this up. Okay. Sure. Um, right. Um, and now troops are on the move and they're going into Ukraine and U.S. is, you know, and NATO are sending troops in, you know, to send moving troops around and, and, you know, military tensions are increasing and so on. Now we see the same thing. We see an intrusion into our nuclear command and control system. What are we going to think? Now, I, it, it's hard to believe that we would say, oh, yeah, they're probably there just for uh, just for spying purposes. And this is routine. No, we're going to think, you know, maybe they're up to something. Maybe something else is in the wind. Mm -hmm. It would be a natural thing for us to think. And we would not necessarily be wrong, right? Because this is the sort of thing we have to prepare for. Our, the, the whole point of having the military be on alert. And so it's their, their job is to think of the worst case. Well, the worst case is that there is, the Russians are trying to prepare for an attack. You could imagine that this fear would make us more jumpy. And... The last thing I want in a crisis is nuclear decision-making officials feeling jumpy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's a very bad thing. And, and, and notice, no, not, notice in this the following aspects. This is not good for us having us or our officials be uncertain. It's not good for the Russians either, right? 
they don't want to do they they, they, they don't want to provoke a war. Okay. Well, it's not in their interest to make us jumpy. Okay. They know what they're doing, but we don't. And of course, if they tell us what they're doing, we won't believe them. So, you know, we're going to start feeling a little bit worried and, you know, and so on. So this is, this has the potential for what I'm going to call inadvertent escalation, right? Getting into a mess with both sides not wanting to go there. And that's the other kind of, of, of cyber risk that I fear that we are uh, that, that that we are creating for ourselves. Because this this ambiguity that I just described, you can't be you know. There's no way of resolving it. Well, I think about the you know the uh, classic example from the movie War Games, where you have a, a third party, in this case a kid, who stumbles into a nuclear weapon system. You know, I, I wonder about non-nuclear nations uh, who, through the course of their espionage, might come upon, either intentionally or not, some of our nuclear systems and, and sort of, to your point, inject some of that uncertainty or that twitchiness uh, that otherwise wouldn't be there. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, sort of at a, at a very high level, I can see the connection. I, gotta, I have to start out by saying that the scenario in war games, in the movie War Games, is, just, is, is one of the things that's just totally unrealistic. Mm -hmm. um, which is that there's no one button that you press uh, that goes from the president down to the missile silos and then a missile, you know, goes up. There are a lot of humans in the loop. There are a lot of people that, uh, you know, the, 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 that have to act. And so the, the particular scenario uh, that um, uh, War Games uh, depicted is just not a realistic, in any way, is not a realistic um, scenario. On the other hand, it does point to the risks of uh, uh, of being in a computerized environment and being uncertain uh, about uh, what, what, what's going on. You mentioned this question of, of uh, a non-nuclear adversary or perhaps even a terrorist group um, getting into our nuclear systems. Um, I'm frankly not as worried about, I, 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 I tend to discount that compared to the risk of Russia or China getting it. Hmm. That's much more worrisome. And here's here here's here's why. Once you're there, it takes hacking skills to get into a system. And I'm prepared to believe that the Russians or North Koreans or maybe even some terrorist group, although that's much less likely, have at least some of the necessary hacking skills that could they could partially get in. I I I think that that might be true. But of course, the Russians and Chinese are going to be much better at that. But once you're in you have to understand something about how nuclear command and control works, and in particular, how the U.S. system works, what commands do what, and what the flow of information is, and what's the thing that you want to do to interrupt information, in flows of information, and so on and so forth. You have to know a lot about how the U.S. actually operates its nuclear command and control system. Just like if you want to hack a uh, utility, you know, an electric power uh, station, uh, you both have to get in and you have to know something about how generators work and you have to know uh, what commands to use to spin up the generators and to shut them down and to divert power and all this other stuff. Okay. You have to know a lot about that. And so it's another ex it's another set of expertise that you need. Uh, and the Russians and Chinese are much more likely to have that expertise than uh, a random terrorist group. So I, I, I'm less concerned about a terrorist group uh, than, than, you know, that, that, that it might otherwise be. 
That doesn't mean a terrorist group. That doesn't mean I want a terrorist group inside our system, right? <laughs> right. Um, right. Right. I mean, that's a bad. You know, that's a bad thing. I mean, they could do right. things just to, to to screw things up. It you know, in ways that they didn't know, um, mm-hmm. that they didn't know what they were doing. But that's a different point. Yeah. So, what is the call to action here? The information that you've laid out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, particularly for folks who are of above-average knowledge when it comes to cybersecurity, which is which is our audience here. Um, is this a matter of, of vigilance? Is this you know checking in with your representatives in Washington? What what can uh, folks do? What can any citizen do about any uh, about any particular issue? Right. Let, let me say that, I mean, for, for me, the, the, the primary issue here is that you increase risk of both inadvertent escalation because things are coupled in ways that you didn't know about, and you also increase the attack surface when systems are complicated and complex. The more complex a system is, uh, the more cyber vulnerable it is, both to deliberate, to, to, to possibility of deliberate uh, cyber attacks, compromising it, and to the possibility that something inadvertent might happen uh, that you, because of some coupling that in, in the system that you didn't know about and that, that, or that you thought you anticipated properly but didn't, um, and then stuff spirals out of control there. What can you do about that? Well, there's only one thing you can do about that, really, uh, and that's to make your system simpler. But the call to make systems simpler runs against every instinct that people have regarding information technology. They always want more, okay? So your computer right now that you have is a very different computer system. It can do more, it can have more features, it has more functionality uh, and and so on than the one that you had five years ago. Mm. You'll notice that it is a bigger system. It requires a bigger processor to do. The operating system that you're running is probably, is, is almost certainly bigger than it was before. You've got more applications running on it and so on and so forth, okay? And we have this insatiable appetite, both military and civilians alike, to want our computer systems to do more and more and more and more. What that means in in the long run is that you're demanding that your systems become effectively more and more complex, hence less secure. Um, And for me, the whole business is in trying to find a way of moderating your appetites, moderating the appetites of people uh, who insist on having the, the best, you know, the, the, the latest and the greatest and, and the most uh, functional uh, stuff, um, we should understand why they want it so that they can get better cybersecurity. I want it to do X. I want it to do Y. It didn't do X and didn't do Y before, but now I want it to do it because now you, I can ask you to do it. You this programming that you can do. I say, okay, fine, I'll do it. And you get a, you get a bigger system and it's more complex and it's more vulnerable. And that, that tendency has to be resisted. Our thanks to author Herbert Lin for joining us. The book is titled Cyber Threats and Nuclear Weapons. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.